Lost and Sound is sponsored by Audio Technica. Audio Technica are a global but still family-run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones, studio quality, yet affordable products. Because they believe that high-quality audio should be accessible to all. So head on over to audiotechnica.com to check out all of their range of stuff. Welcome to Lost and Sound. I'm Paul Hamford. I'm your host. I'm a writer and author based in Berlin, where I'm speaking to you right now from. And 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 I apologise if you can hear a little bit of noise in the background. I'm I'm, I'm stood in a street in Neukölln, and there's a little bit of roadworks and, and stuff like that going on, which is just typical Berlin, typical cities, really always changing always on the move but yes so thank you so much for listening this is the show where each episode i have conversations with the musical innovators the outsiders the mavericks the artists that do their own unique thing and we talk about music creativity life the things that inspire us to make the things that we make previous guests have included peaches suzanne chiani jim o'rourke chili gonzalez hani arani ghost poet cozy funny tutti graham coxon sleaford mods nightmares on wax and first and more and today on the show I have a chat with musician, performance artist, poet and activist, the one and only Mickey Blanco. My book, Coming to Berlin, is in all good bookshops or available via the publisher's website, Velocity Press. And Lost and Sound is now a substack too. Um, if you like writing about music and the connection between music, life and creativity, um, there are bits of writing that I put from time to time in there. Give it a subscribe if that is your bag. Okay, so... I was really, really honoured and excited to have the chat you're about to hear. Mickey Blanco became canonised as an artist almost, it felt like, as soon as they started putting out music. They released their first material in 2012 and became a star overnight. Within a year, they were opening for Björk. Blanco has said in the past that they credit Tumblr and being part of a queer black diaspora for their success, but it was also a lot of graft, extensive touring and constant musical experimentation that has always pushed them as an artist along the way, collaborating with everyone from Madonna to Kylie to Hanoni to Michael Stipe. Although they're still possibly primarily known as a hip-hop artist, they've always absorbed a wide range of influences into their work. Punk, grunge, psychedelia, dream pop, trap, the list goes on. It's a melting pot. And like, I think like all the best melting pots, the tastes all blend together. What you have is something unique out of it. Their 2022 album, Stay Close to Music, is totally on point with this. And we had this conversation at a time where Mickey's work is going through big changes. The new six-track EP coming out called Postcards from Italia is part of a metamorphosis that they go on to talk about in, in the interview you're about to hear. Um, 
they're an artist that is constantly changing, constantly, constantly developing their musical approaches. And we had this conversation last week, which was August of 23rd, 2023. I was super, super excited to talk with Mickey Blanco. And this is what happened. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much for uh, speaking with me today. Um, yeah, so w- where are you at the moment? Are you, you're in Lisbon, are you? Uh, actually, no. Actually, I'm in Denmark. I was in Lisbon, but but I'm in Denmark now. I play a festival on Friday, so I decided to come. Uh, I mean, I'm in a city called Aarhus, so I decided to come here because I just needed to have a bit of a, a quiet a quiet one. <laughs> mm, yeah. And is that something you feel like, cause you know, you're someone that sort of toured so much and played so many gigs. You must've picked up so many tips along the way on how to kind of look after yourself with, with like these festivals. Is that part of the kind of consideration? Yeah, I, um, I mean the month of the month of July, I, I took an apartment in, in, in Naples in Italy. And that was nice because I mean, Naples is, it's, it's, I mean, it's it's literally volcanic. It's 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 mm. a crazy city, and it it was a it was an awesome place. You know, it's 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 you know, it's very urban, but then you're very close to the sea, so you know you can take a day trip easily. You know, to the beautiful coast, and and that was really nice. So I mean, I and then at the very beginning of August, uh, I left Naples and went to another island that's that's near uh, Ischia. Mm. So I've I've kind of like. How can I? And, I, and I've been doing summer festivals since May, so I've kind of had my holiday. <laughs> um, <clears throat> like I, I've, I've definitely, really, truly had my holiday. So um, I do this festival this Friday, and then I go back to the states to to tidy up some things. And uh, but I, I'm going to grad school um, starting uh, starting in the middle of September. So I'm going to be doing like a master of fine arts, but mm. so I'm going to, it's, it's like mixed media and painting, but I mean, there's also a lot of, a lot of seminars that I'm really interested in. And, and I mean, one of my focuses is also environmental humanities and also mm. kind of like the ecological movement, but more like kind of like post-colonial uh, ecologies. Mm. So I kind of told myself like, like last week I, I was in Lisbon and then I came to Copenhagen because a friend of mine released a poetry book and I DJed the after party. And then it was, it was, it was pride. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was the queer pride in Copenhagen. And so, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to stay for this weekend. But then, you know, I was like on Monday, I was like, I really want to kind of start to decondition myself out of kind of this, this mode because I need to uh, truthfully, and truthfully and chemically and and probably scientifically i really need to like prepare my brain you know to go mm. into this pro to go into this program so i was like okay i was like monday monday i'm like i'm not drinking and i'm like gonna like i'm, I'm gonna literally remove myself from all of my friends yeah yeah <laughs> And, and I'm, you know, and I'm going to like, so it's, it's nice. It's like, I'm, I'm here by myself. I don't know anyone in this, in this, in this Danish town. I play this gig and then I go straight to my mom's house 
tidy up some personal things, get some stuff out of storage, and then go straight to Switzerland. <laughs> wow. I, I love that feeling about starting a new project, you know, when it is in those, those kind of stages and, you know, you're, sort of just, you're just sort of preparing the ground around you for it, you know. Yes. And I mean, like, because, you, you you know, you've some, you're someone that, like, um, for an American, you seem to have really gravitated towards Europe. What what is it about Europe that sort of feels like a place that you know you you can kind of connect with? I mean, I've lived in Europe for most of my adult life. Mm. Um, I I mean, you know, I went to I went to two different kind of like art schools in the states. Then you know, uh, I mean, New York really birthed my career in music and in art, and I lived there till. I mean, I lived in New York, what, 21, two, three, four, five, six. So I lived in New York about seven years. And then, you know, and then, and then my music career, my career in music took off. Mm. Um, but so from about 20, truthfully, from about 28 till now, um, you know, 30, what, 37, I, I've lived mostly, you know, between in the beginning, it was Berlin, Paris. Mm. Um, but then the longest stretch was Lisbon. And then during the pandemic, you know, Paris again. And then I briefly, for a few months during the pandemic, did live in Los Angeles. I kind of gave that a try just because mm. it seemed like an it seemed like an agreeable place to live, you know, yeah. during the pandemic. All of the space and the the sort of separateness yeah. must have been kind of conducive. Yeah, but I think I think I gravitated towards Europe because it was Europe. I mean, it is Europe that has. Mm sustained the breadth of my career i mean it was it was finding it was finding success in europe as an american act as this kind of like taboo transgressive american act that propelled me first into not only a certain level of popularity but uh financial sustainability mm. and so and so that's why I, you know, I, I really felt more comfortable building my career here. Um, America doesn't really have the same kind of financial stability for artists at different tiers. Mm. I mean, America, America is very kind of clear cut about its beliefs about stardom and about um, success and about what their as a society and Hollywood and the music industry, what their markers of success mm. are. Mm. And when, you, and when you built a career globally, I mean, for me, my career was predominantly built, you know, in Europe, but also in South America and Asia when you, and, and, and in America, but in America always as this kind of afterthought, um, you know, because I have had, I have had a long, like in the years I have had great, opportunities and bookings in North America, but they literally came as a result of the fame uh, that, I, that I that I achieved elsewhere. So, mm. it's, it, I mean, I mean, my career definitely follows that trajectory of, of, you know, British artists coming and breaking in America, and then all of a sudden, you know, receiving all of this, you know, esteem and respect in, in the UK, uh, American artists, you know, coming over and, and, you know, getting a certain kind of polish attached to them, by you know breaking the UK and other countries, and then being able to come back to the states, you know, more financially set up, you know, better looking projects, better looking, you know, production videos. So uh, you know, I, I, my my career really, I mean, and why I've gravitated towards Europe really follows that trajectory. 
Yeah, and 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 I think because you know you you you're an artist that has paved the way so much, um, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, you you're you're like in terms of a lot of people hearing black queer um, music on a, on a large scale, mainstream audiences, a lot of people hadn't heard that before. So, do you think like Europe enabled that more than it would have been been possible in the states at that time, say, ten, twelve, thirteen, fifteen years ago? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, 2012 and 2013 are the years in which I've broken. And so it's like my career really follows this <clears throat> this acceleration point mm. around around queer ideologies entering the mainstream and 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 kind of bubbling up from, you know, varied fringe and outlaw queer communities to academic circles to, you know, the mainstream. I mean, mm. I faced so much transphobia and homophobia in the States during those years, 2012, 2013, uh, 2014 even. But I was also part of this, this acceleration point because it wasn't just me. There were other artists mm. that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I was individual in my identity politics or my sound, you know, but there were other queer artists that were just as important as as me in pushing open this envelope, and we existed mm. at the same time. You know, we're part of the same kind of cultural cosmology, mm. and and it's interesting because, you know, I mean, I would never, I would never do this, but you know, I, I would never, I would never name the names of the people, the other celebrities, the producers, the mag, the, the magazine outlets, um, the 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 the, the new the news outlets that were afraid to post my music, that mm. said no, that were outrightly transphobic and homophobic, yeah. um, you know, but they know and I know. And and so, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's like to be a pioneer means that you either had to be the first of something or you definitely radically made a big mark and a lineage of something. And so, um, I mean, I, I definitely know I mean, it has been affirmed for me that I and 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 others, you know, during that time, you know, we are the pioneers. You know, we we did pave the way for artists such as you know Little Nas X and mm -hmm. and you know the Choice of Bonds and and well maybe not because that's more pop, but you know definitely for kind of like you know the the queer rappers that have come. You know, we de I mean yeah, it's, I mean it's 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 kind of like it's it's a no brainer, and and so. Yeah, it's 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 been interesting. It's been interesting to so quickly earn a place in history. It's been so it's mm -hmm. been interesting to so quickly be archived and be canonized. Mm -hmm. But I think I think that for me, you know, how I get over the hurdle of this, you know, of this uh, being archived is that I just try every year to incubate and then release projects within art, within literature, within music that feel fresh. Mm. And because, you know, because you were canonized so early and, um, you know, talking about like how it's important <clears throat> to always release work that's fresh. Um, how does, did that take a little while to get used to in terms of like your creative process to, <laughs> to not be clouded by like maybe uh, the perceptions that we take on from me 
media or the perceptions of of maybe like our own egos that sort of come into play a little bit as well when we're in the spotlight you know to kind of remain so fresh with the music that you do which is always sort of evolving and always uh bringing in new ideas did it did it take a little while to kind of find ways to keep to access this creative freshness after that um I would say, I mean, I really feel like I've been through all of it and Mm -hmm. my life, my personal life has been so inextricably linked to my career. I mean, now, I mean, now, now, now because I am an established artist and now because the world has changed so dramatically, you know, like I said, with kind of like these, these, this kind of like accelerationist kind of like thing that happened over the last like decade. But I think in the very beginning, I used to be so worried about being pigeonholed because mm-hmm. people would literally call me the tranny rapper, the gay mm-hmm. rapper, the yeah. queer, the queer rapper. And, and, you know, and they would say it like as if that was not a derogatory thing mm-hmm. to say. Um, and then when I came out publicly as being HIV positive, they had the nerve for at least one full cycle to call me the HIV positive rapper. Yeah. Um, and that was really hardcore because I was just like, okay, like, are, are these journalists actually not understanding how like fucked up it is that, 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 that you're going to like do this to me for mm. a year? And uh, it lasted for about, you know, one whole news cycle. So probably probably about nine months, maybe 10 months it lasted. And then when I released a new project, I think maybe there was some tinges of that. And then I think by the, the next project, it had fallen away. But I, I mean, I've really been someone that's bared witnessed to not, I don't want to say the ugly side because it's not, it's because a lot of it was so unintentional. But I've just really bared witness to like these these different intricacies and interplays and kind of like psychological things that have happened to our society and mm. how they treat gender nonconforming people and how they address gender nonconforming people and how gender non- nonconforming people, how, how queer issues play out in the media. I mean, I, I've really been at, at the center. And when I say the center, I'm not talking about me as a artist or me as, you know, this person that was at the center of controversy. Mm-hmm. I just mean that because of the politics of my identity and because of the fact that I was alive at the time, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was, you know, at the center of, 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 of all of these different changes. Yeah, yeah. And and do you fit is it is it you know, like it feels like it's sort of like I say, a lot of the press and a lot of the kind of like sort of um I don't know, I guess kind of like unflate unthinking use of language was it something that you you feel like you know you get to a point where you kind of think oh my god can't we just talk about my music you know or is it so inextricably linked that you oh. feel oh sure because i mean i've said publicly many i've said publicly many mm. i've said publicly many times you know do you music journalists realize that when you're because it wasn't just me i would see this pattern with so many other artists like you know do you do you music journalists realize you know, when you're interviewing women that might have more of a very publicly feminist leaning uh, persona, 
or mm. when you're interviewing a queer artist of color, do you realize that that you're using the politics of our identity to ghettoize us? You know, mm. I, I've been very I've been very public about that because I think as a writer, I think if you're a good writer, okay, it's a, it's 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 okay to 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 you know to tread a fine line and to ask you know questions about an artist's personal life or who they are because you know these are also the ingredients that make up their artistry these 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 mm. these are facets these are facets of the music but they're not they're not more important or they shouldn't take mm. more precedence than asking about you know or or I should say than assuming that these mm. things inspired the creative process and I think that I think that has been the biggest issue is that people make assumptive gestures and they and they and they make um, very uh, they have very assumptive ideas about you know what you know a, a queer artist of colors uh, inspirations have been or what they've drawn mm. from or you know I like I mean I I mean I've surprised so many music journalists you know when I've said oh well. You know, I know I was, you know, this this record or the inspiration, you know, behind my cadence, you know, mm-hmm. uh, was 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 really inspired by Tom Petty, or mm-hmm. you know, or you know, because you know, Tom Petty actually to me is 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 actually a rapper, and how and how you know he he delivers you know a lot of his lyrics, or you know, or me saying, oh yeah, well, I, you know, you know, even though you know this production you know might be quite minimal, you know, I was actually really inspired by. Um, you know, a transition by Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Yeah. And so and so it's kind of like it's like people shouldn't be so assumptive that that like, you know, that there was something that always happened, you know, in my life or that had to do with the politics of my identity that that mm. that that was the creative inspiration behind something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, like kind of on that point, like, you know, the new, the new EP. Um, I mean, I feel like all of your music is like one of the things I love about listening to your music is like the way that like so many different influences of sound and sounds come together, but it never feels like I'm listening to a collection of influences. It always, you know, like I can sort of hear things, but they're never, it's never kind of rammed together. There's like fluidity and and stuff. And on on the new, like you know, magic on my back, kind of like you, you mentioned Crosby, Stills, and Nash. You know, I also sort of picked up on it, reminded me a little bit in a really good way of Season of the Witch by by Donovan. That's oh wow! Been, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just love that sort of you know that sort of sixties shuffle. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I was wondering how did that come about? You know, what was the process for that? Um. So. Uh, uh, you're talking about the EP in general, or that, yeah. that particular song. Um, which, whichever way you want to go for it, really. So, with "Stay Close to Music," um, I, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I'm really, really at this point. I'm really, really. Uh, I'm, I'm not so interested in rapping anymore. But I am still. I'm so. I'm, I'm not so interested in like, kind of more of the straightforward stereotypical bar for bar for bar for bar rapping that that I did for the majority of my earlier career. Mm. Um, but I am interested in ways in which I can use the quality of my voice to, you know, its max, its max potential. Mm. Um, 
because I, I would never consider myself a, a singer, but I do think that there I do think that I can play with particular cadences that sound good and that and that and that, and that I can make sound good on on records. And so <clears throat> and so um you know I don't I don't think I rap at all mm. on this EP. Um, and, and I don't, and I, I'm going to be honest, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever really rap again yeah. in the traditional sense and, and, you know, in the traditional sense, because I'm having, I mean, the music, I, I mean, I'm the music that the music that is, is on this EP It's to me, it's so open mm. and, and I can imagine playing it so many different ways um, with so many different formations of a band. And I just, I just want that. I, I just, I just want that openness and, and to be able, I mean, like, I mean, one, I think one of the huge inspirations for this EP was like Steve Miller band. Um, right. and, and so, I mean, I love Steve Miller and I was like, you know, I want to make music that feels that open. And, and the thing is a lot of, I mean, a lot of rock and roll, especially a lot of rock and roll of this kind of like Steve Miller, mm. um, you know, Tom Petty era, they're not, they're not singing. They're, mm. they're, they're not mm. singing. You know, they're, 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 they're barely singing. They're, they, I mean, they're not, they're not holding, you know, they're not holding a note like an R&B singer or, or the Bee Gees mm. or, you know, they're, they're not singing. And, and so, you know, I've taken a lot of inspiration from this because it's like, you know, I can make good music and I don't have to be a singer and I can make good music and I don't have to be a rapper. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I get that from like, say, listening to Lou Reed as well. A lot of the time, you know, it's, um, like, do you, you know, that, that um, and also because, you know, you know, you sort of, you're going off to study, you know, going the, the, the fine art, but also before you released music, you, you know, you released poetry as well. Is there, is there something that sort of feels like, you know, you can, you know, like, as you say, for moving to rapping to maybe never rapping again and singing, is there something like underneath all of these different mediums that kind of connects everything together for you? Like, cause I always sort of feel like art is sort of, when we know art feels good for us, it's sort of transcendent anyway. And there's just like a, a medium that fit, it fits into at the time, you know? So do you feel that it, there's something very fluid in, in approaching lots of different kinds of mediums? Well, I mean, not only do I feel like it's creatively healthy, I think that it is creatively healthy because I do think, I don't know, sometimes I think, sometimes I think when music feels like okay back to the grindstone i have to you know i even though even though i love this i have to deliver another album for the label mm. um i i think that sometimes and it's and, and that's the thing is that it's not i mean well i guess it's different situations for different artists but you know a lot of the times if you've had a good release if you've had a good record yeah of course the label you know you know they want to support you and, they, and you know and and, and they want to see you know what what your next offering is going to be but it's more of this um it's more of, of of this idea of like okay let's you know let's let's do this whole entire thing you know over again and and i i mean i did not start writing my first set of songs till i was 25 mm -hmm. so i mean if you listen to my early music and then because i i feel like I feel like my early music is honestly me just being this young, like art freak kid 
doing whatever I want, you know, playing with so many different concepts and genres and I mean, not giving a hoot about production quality and just mm. like, I mean, I just like really literally doing whatever I do, literally doing whatever I want and, and not having any mentorship and not having any, any instruction. And, and then, you know, I think one of my first musical mentors probably, you know, in an industry way was Woodkid. Mm. And then I think after Woodkid, I think working, uh, with a producer named Jeremiah Meese was really, really helpful in my evolution. I mean, this is going to sound so controversial, but I mean, working with Kanye West was mm. very, very important for my, I think as a mentor for, for, for my musical evolution. And then, I mean, the work that I've done in partnership with, with, with producer Faulty DL, mm. uh, I think that his, his Faulty's Faulty's real name is Drew. And I think that, I think that our creative collaboration and partnership it was it's been it's been so in sync that so many sonic ideas that i've wanted to explore he has helped me bring to fruition as well as his own creativity and helping me and you know craft a sound that i feel so good about and really understand and really listening to me mm. um uh, but then but then also this this journey of going from you know deciding never to sample anymore mm. um and and to only work, you know, with original samples that are created first with session players um, and then building upon those and then creating our own samples. And then, you know, so making music first, always choosing to make music organically first mm. and then use you know, the programs, reason, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, well, you know, the, the programs, the programs. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, just this decision to work organically first you know with session players and then you know use the digital programs all of that i mean all of all of that has has gone into making you know this distinct kind of like carbon you know footprint where you know there's early mickey blanco mm -hmm. you know and then you know and then i would say after the pandemic you know 2020 you know stay close to music Broken Hearts and Beauty Sleep, they they really they they set the bar. Okay, no, this is mature Mickey Blanco. This is what to me it to me it's like this is what Mickey Blanco actually sounds like. Right. So for me, it's like for me, it's like it's kind of like all of that other music was the journey, and mm. obviously the journey isn't over. The journey is never over, but it's like for me, it's like the beginning of my career up until 2020 is the journey, experimentation, 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 and then. You know, after 2020, it's like, no, this is what my music actually sounds like, <laughs> because right. you know, I, I, I'm because I, I matured into being a musician. I matured into being a songwriter. It, it, I mean, it took, it took, it took, it took ten years. It took from 25 mm. to 35. Mm. I mean, you know, you've said before that you're from a punk and riot girl background. Um, was, was there like a specific musical epiphany that you had at a young age that kind of set things in motion with your relationship with music. I think the music of La Tigra, you know, fronted by the band La yes. Tigra, fronted by, fronted by Kathleen Hanna. Mm. Um, that, I mean, Kathleen Hanna and La Tigra, I think single-handedly were so important because sonically and production-wise, they were genre splicing so mm. much 
the music was very arty. It was very, it, it, you know, it sounded a lot like sound collage. But then they were also able to make, you know, dance music. But then the lyrical content was very political, very feminist things. I mean, very queer things that at that time you were just not hearing in music. Mm. Um, La Tigra to me is a very, very, very important, very influential band. I mean, that they, 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 for me broke open the mold of, okay, what is possible? Mm. And then, and then, you know, it was discovering, you know, bands like Throbbing Gristle, um, discovering bands like Les Rales de Nudes. Mm. I think, I think can was mm. really important. I think can was really important for me. Um, but then also acts like Jamiroquai, because I mean, as an American, you know, as an, uh, I mean, my first, so it's a, this is the truth. My first ever concert when I was eight years old was a free Jamiroquai concert in Union Square in San Francisco. And, and I knew who they were because I knew the song. Came, I mean, I knew the song, uh, you know, virtual insanity mm. and, and I used to like that song. I remember the music video. I remember it's one of the first music videos I ever remember. And so I had my grandparents take me to this free Jamiroquai concert. And they had no idea what they were getting into. And I was eight years old. And, you know, they let me race to the front. And, and you know, I remember, you know, being like, you know, arm's length. And I remember like, you know, like hippies and ravers, like putting me like on their shoulders at eight years old you know, mm. to watch this Jamiroquai concert. And so, you know, it's like, it's, it's like all, of, I mean, M Macy Gray was also very uh, mm. formative for me because I remember when Macy Gray came out, I had never heard someone whose voice sounded like that or was making, you know, that kind of, that kind of music. Um, so, I mean, the, you know, movements like Riot Girl, which, you know, I was way too young to discover when they were first starting, or even movements like Trip Hop, that I was way too young to discover when they first, you know, were initiated. I ended up discovering, you know, in the early 2000s, you know, when I was 13, 14, 15, mm. and, and all of that had a huge impact on me. Yeah, so there's a massive melting pot of different influences going on there then. I mean, I mean, you know, LimeWire and Napster were so important for a whole generation to discover music that we would yeah. have never discovered or, or, or we would have discovered much slower just browsing in, you know, a record shop. Absolutely. I remember those whole line wire, the kind of like, you know, 67% downloading, you know, <laughs> all of that. I had so yeah. much fun that. Yeah. I mean, and then, and then there, there is this story, I'm, I'm sure you've probably sort of told it to journalists way too many times about you going to New York, stealing $100 from your mum's uh, wallet. Um, <laughs> and, and um, you know, to obtain the kind of bo bohemian lifestyle you know what was the sort of input you know it, what were you you know how do you feel about that now what was the sort of your recollections of of that that time and that experience i mean at that time i was reading i mean at that time i was listening to a lot of lauren hill unplugged mm. um because it was the unplugged album that was all about like getting free i was like steeped and like all this like you know anarchist punk literature uh that was definitely about rebelling about protesting about community organizing about also getting free <laughs> mm. um and you know i was listening to a lot of the tigra I, I mean i 
I was emailing with Vincent Gallo. Um, I was emailing uh, with with uh, Beck's Beck's mom, who is an artist in her own right, named Bibby Hansen. And I also emailed, you know, with Vaginal Davis. And so, I mean, none of these people encouraged me to run away from home. But it was like, and I had also emailed with the Tigra at this point. Um, you know, none of these people encouraged me to run away from home. But I already, okay, was being quite ambitious about the fact that, like, I was not going to fit into um, a mold. And mm. it's really funny because my dad, a few years, I mean, well, no, this, this would have been a long time ago. But, you know, in my early 20s, because I ran away when I was 16, but my dad, you know, had this conversation with me in my early 20s where he was like, he was like, I don't think you even realize yet how, how, how independent, uh, how, how ambitious, how he was like to be 16 years old mm -hmm. and say that you're going to leave, okay, suburban North Carolina and move to New York City. He was like that. He was like, that's a certain kind of personality. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and he was like, he was like, you know, I <clears throat> and he was like, I don't, he was like, I don't think you even realize, you know, he was like, most kids are 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 you know are are are, are too afraid, you know, to even go over into the next city, you know, the next town. Um he was like, but you know, but to run away all the way to New York City. Um so <clears throat> I mean that that whole entire period, it's so funny because you know. There's a lot that I remember from that period. Mm. And then every so often, there'll be something that pops into my brain that I've completely forgot about. Mm. And it's just, I mean, I, I remember, I remember, you know, immediately knowing that I needed to get a job. So I was trying to get a job at like every Starbucks that I could, but because I had no phone, I couldn't get hired because, you know, they, they couldn't. I mean, the, it's so interesting because the one thing that I wish I had known about when I did that whole thing is I wish I had known about, you know, all of these groups that kind of help street kids, but mm. maybe that was, but maybe that was for the best because if I had probably fallen in with one of those groups and actually gotten shelter and actually gotten help, I would have probably not returned home. Right. <laughs> and, yes. Yeah. And I, I and I would, and I would have probably had a very, very, <clears throat> very, very different trajectory in my life. I mean, it was, it was important that I had that experience, but it's also important that I came back home to my parents, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it seems like, so you had like very, very, you've got very, very supportive, nurturing parents and, and do they follow, do they follow your career? Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I remember hearing my dad and my mom have this conversation where they were like, I mean, they're, they're not, they've not been married for many years, but I remember like, you know, talking, I remember being with my dad and talking with my mom on the phone and passing the phone, you know, to one of them and, and overhearing, you know, like, I mean, you know, you can still hear on the receiver and, and hearing, you know, hearing my dad say something like, yeah, and hey, people like him. Hey, they really <laughs> like him. And then my mom said, oh yeah, I'm seeing it too. She was like, he might be onto something. They, you know, they're really, they're really liking what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> that is so lovely. It's so good when that happens, you know. And um, and like also, I mean, if you had that yourself as well, because you know, the, the people you've collaborated with as well, like so, you know, it's like a roll call of, you know, 
Kanye to Michael Stipe to Anoni, Kelsey Lou, you know, but like, do you ever kind of get self starstruck yourself? Self? Um, you know, I think I was, I was starstruck. I was starstruck, obviously, with Madonna. Mm. <clears throat> um, I was starstruck with Madonna. Um, but actually, you know, it's funny. It, it, it actually, it actually amuses, it actually amuses me more the people that I'm not starstruck by anymore. Oh. Like, you know, like, and, and I'm not trying to sound like, like a twat or something, but <laughs> I think, I think it amuses me more when I'll say something casually like, oh yeah, you know, it was really great when I, you know, I saw Bjork when I was in Tokyo and, and, you know, and then, you know, and then, you know, someone around me or, or my mom or something will be like, oh, so you saw Bjork again in Tokyo, huh? Mm. I was like, oh, yeah, they were doing a concert and I wrote her assistant and it was so nice to see her again. And so nice. They let, let, let us go. And so, you know, uh, I think that I think that more sometimes I get amused by the fact that, you know, these people have supported me and they've shown me. And they've, you know, and they've affirmed for me. They, I mean, it's it's like the industry never affirmed for me that what I was doing was important or or that what I was doing was valued. But these other artists who the industry has affirmed, mm -hmm. these other artists who culture and who the world has affirmed, you know, have affirmed for me. I mean, you know, like I said, it's I mean, it's I mean, it's, it's I know it's controversial, but it meant so much to me in 2018. When Kanye West said to me, you are great mm. and don't think that you're not, you know, mm. you are great. You are a great songwriter and don't and don't ever let anyone, you know, tell you that you're not. That meant something to me because this is someone who most of the world, especially during that time, you know, before things got a little too out of hand. But like, you know, you know, these, these I mean, these, these, these are people in general who, you know, the world views as geniuses. Mm. and so. It's like, you know, to have these people affirm for me that, no, like, you continue to believe in yourself. You can, you know, yeah, yeah. You might have come, you know, at a time where the industry may never give you that validation. But, you know, by 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 share of, of them believing in me, I, I, it affirms for me that it means a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And it's sort of, uh, I, and because so much of, up until a few years ago, you know, you you were you were kind of self-releasing as well. You know, uh, there's been yeah, such a yes. sort of DIY yeah. approach to what you've done. It must have been so amazing to have these kind of people that have, you know, like the sort of the the 20th and 21st century versions of the Da Vinci's and and stuff of, of the world kind of getting you and understanding you and and bringing you in and collaborating with you. That must have been like a real kind of a point of confirmation for you. Well, I, I, I mean, I think, because I think for me, I think for me, it translates into being something quite obvious, which is, which, which is like, I think that they are able to recognize that there was definitely a certain moment in the very beginning of my career that had it not been for the politics of my identity, I would have, I would have assented quite quickly to being a mainstream artist. Mm. And I think that they know that. I think that many people know that, you know. But is it is it more important, like you know, in the wider picture for mainstream society to come round to 
individual artists and and people are making changes than than for uh than than for artists that have something unique to say to blend in i you know in like 2015 and like 20 i would say, i would say 2015 16 17 maybe 2015 16 17 18 i was kind of hyper focused on like how can i how can i break through like mm-hmm. how can i break through into the mainstream like how like what like what can i do how can i make myself more palatable what can i do what can i do what can i do and then that feeling and then that feeling dissolved because I started to think, well, you know, at this point, you know, at this point, it's if, if at this point, if this is still a desire that I have, and 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 I guess, and I guess also it was this realization that that desire was so very tied to a need for notoriety, mm. and so then it kind of becomes well, and then I kind of you know did all these mental backflips where it's like well, when is enough enough? Mm. And, and then will it ever be enough? And then what's really kind of like, what's really under, what's, what's really the real psychological yearn underneath this outer yearn? Like, Mm. like what, like, like, you know, what really is the psychological need for this new level of validation is it because you feel you deserve it? Is it is it because you feel you've been shafted, or 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 is there a void of something else that you think will now be filled, you know, through mm. through this? Mm. Um, and so, you know, I I came to understand that okay, okay, maybe if I ever get cast in a movie, or maybe if I ever do things in film or television that would give a certain dimension of, of my career, you know, this more mainstream tangent, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I think I've, I think what's made me feel so sane is that I just have always, you know, kept a foot in the art world. Um, I've always just still been able to really flourish in underground spaces and and then realize that like that truly is who I am. I mean, there is there 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 was this thing that happened where uh, because of the success and the popularity of Mickey Blanco, you know, I was only now playing a certain tier of festival. Yeah. And 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 that had to do with money. And 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 then, you know, all of a sudden now, all the cool festivals with all of the young people, I'm no longer playing. And so I started a new band. I started this new project called Expat and we were getting booked at a lot of, of, of the smaller festivals and I was re-engaging with younger people. And, and I think that that was such an important experience for me to remember because it was like, Hey, like, like that's why I've actually started to also do DJ gigs a lot mm. because it's like, it's like there, it's like, it's like the industry starts to shape you in a way where yes, mm. I am never going to say that I am not grateful that my management and my agents are able to okay acquire large fees for my artistry. I mean, I'm never going to say that, but it does mean that you start to price out of a certain kind of festival and a certain kind of crowd and a certain kind of audience. And I just mm-hmm. I've realized that the success of my career 
means that I have to have my hands in all pots at all times. Yeah. I have to, you know, I have to, I have to continue to always be, um, you know, as omniscient within, mm-hmm. within, within my, you know, my cult, my, 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 my choices within culture and my and art as possible. Yeah. Oh, Paul, I just, so my computer, I, is on like eight percent i just no like, worries i think i've got enough it's okay we've got a good conversation down there that's it's all good yeah, yeah. and i think that ends on a nice note anyway so okay. it's it's all good um, uh, mickey thank you so so much i, I just I, I was so excited to meet you today and i'm so you know I'm, I'm delighted to chat to you so thank you so much thank you so much paul and you honestly you have a good one okay you too as well. Take care. I hope the festival goes amazingly this weekend. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, so that was me, Paul Hamford, talking with Mickey Blanco. And we had that conversation on August the 23rd, 2023. Thank you so much, Mickey, for for your time there and your wonderful words. Um, thank you to Jody for organizing that. Um, Postcards for Metallia is out on September the 22nd. Um, the track Holidays in the Sun is out now. And Lost and Sound is proudly sponsored by Audio Technica. Audio Technica are a global but still family-run company that make headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones, studio quality yet affordable products. They're products that I use. They're products that I'm I'm wearing a pair of the headphones that I'm speaking to you right now on stood in a street in Neukölln in Berlin. Um, yes, thank you also to Tom Giddens for doing the music that you hear at the beginning at the end of every episode of Lost and sound i really hope you're having a fucking amazing day and yeah chat to you soon